because I feel like we've already started. Welcome to the Gear Chick Podcast. I thank you for joining me again um, as I navigate podcasting and I start to kind of figure out who I'm going to talk to and what I'm going to talk about. I hope that you will get a lot out of this particular episode. I'm here with a associate by the name of Deborah Chin, and hopefully you already know who she is, and hopefully you've already seen and heard and read about her company, Motoshik Gear. I hope I said that right. Um, and But if you haven't, she is going to tell us all about her business. She's going to tell us her experiences in the motorcycle industry. She's going to hopefully share with us some inside secrets on her success. Um maybe some do's and don'ts. So let's start off with, uh, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Deborah, and just tell us in a few minutes who you are, what business you started, and I guess what led you to start it. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, Joanne. So um, yeah, Motosheet combines innovative design with high performance materials uh, to create stylish gear for women on the move. And that's a mouthful. But, you know, the whole <laughs> idea yeah, came from um, basically when I started to ride, I um, borrowed this backpack from my boyfriend, now husband, and it was ugly and was uncomfortable and it, uh, you know, just <laughs> didn't uh, serve me well. So I decided I was, you know, going to go and buy something else. Um, and what I found out there was a lot of, uh, a sea of black ballistic nylon basically. Um, and mm-hmm. when I talked to women, they were either using, um, there are some very good technical bags, um, or they were literally using like Hello Kitty backpacks, um, or, or things that, um, were made for students. And, and so, uh, you know, I thought about, you know, my life and, you know, being a rider is one part of my life, but, you know, we women are very, uh, multifaceted creatures. You know, we, we go to work, uh, we, we have friends, we go out on, uh, dinner dates. So, you know, I wanted something that could go with me sort of day to night and, you know, wouldn't have to change my bag if I decided to take the bike or if I was, you know, going on a plane, um, because I, I tend to, uh, misplace things a lot. So if I don't have them on me, you know, I, I would forget it. And so I just wanted one go-to accessory that I could use. And that was kind of the genesis behind, um, the flagship product, which is the Lauren bag. Mm-hmm. So basically right now, it sounds like your products on your website are limited to the Lauren bag. And then you still do that awesome little wristlet, don't you? Yes. Um, so the Valerie bag is her bag, uh, companion. Yeah. And um, that's sort of an essentials bag that you can use five different ways uh, between the two straps. So you can use it as a wallet or um, you could use it standalone because that's just enough to carry what you need. So a few credit cards, your phone, your chapstick, and then, you know, you're good to go. Um, So those are the two products I started with. And then I've added um, some apparel and accessories uh, to kind of, you know, round it out a little bit. But um, yeah, that's what we do. Tell us a little more about some of the other accessories you're developing, because I see a new little bag here called the Bess that looks really cool. 
<laughs> yeah, the best. So she is um, named after Bess Armstrong, who, you know, was one of the first uh, female motorcycle riders to deliver uh, messages during the war. So, um, you know, basically, sizing wise, she fits between the Valerie and the Lauren. And so it's when you need a little bit more um, than the Valerie, but you don't want to take a whole bag um, that's filled with your computer or whatnot. So she's a crossbody bag that is um, also vegan. Um, so cause that's something I heard from my customers, a lot of them, you know, of course, the go-to is leather, but there are people who want textile because it's lighter weight. And so um, that kind of led me to do the Lauren bag in textile, but also add this uh, best bag, which is um, also a textile bag. I'm sorry, you meant Bessie Stringfield. Oh, I'm right. sorry. Yeah, I'm thinking of Miss America. <laughs> no, not Bessie Stringfield. Thank Very you for correcting moment. me. Uh, <laughs> yes. So if you don't know who Bessie Stringfield is, take a little moment to Google that because she's a really, really, really important female, I think, in the history of motorcycling for all of us, regardless of how you ride or what you ride. She's, a, she's one of, I'd say, the top five key female figures in the last century that have influenced motorcycles heavily. Um, yeah. Or that inspire, I think. I know she inspires me and I know she's inspired countless women as well. Um, but I, I like that new bag. When did you launch that? Oh, that was about a year ago. So um, I've been introducing things very slowly and, mm -hmm. and carefully because, you know, as an entrepreneur, you kind of have to be careful about overextending yourself and then also, you know, seeing uh trends in the marketplace that you think could translate well to our lifestyles. So mm -hmm. I, I uh, took that into production about a year ago. Oh, that's nice. Well, if you have a second, check that out on her website on motochigear.com. And it looks like it's $90 and it's called the best bag. Um, if you're looking for something small, I'm always looking for little bags so that I don't have to use a tank bag, but I don't want a backpack. Mm -hmm. And I want, but I don't want a wallet, you know what I mean? Like something small that's wearable on the bike, but not big, I guess. Absolutely. Like it's like the Goldilocks of bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess so, right? Well, it seems like it's pretty in between. Is that meant to be worn while you're riding, like over your shoulder maybe? Like across yeah. your shoulder? Yeah, across the front. You can definitely do it on the front or in the back, or um, you could do it on your waist if you really wanted to. But um, I wear it most often as a sling bag oh, okay. across the back. Cool. Well, ladies there, that might be the unicorn you're looking for. Um, so now that we've kind of talked about, you know, what company you are and, and what you've established, I want you to tell us a little bit about your journey getting here and I guess what year you started and let's start out kind of talking about some of the challenges you faced in the beginning and how you overcame those. Yeah, so um, I was very naive, and I think that's part of it. I well, think you really like have book. to. There's no like manual, like here, this is how you start a successful motorcycle company. Like, it's, yeah, you have to fail, right, to succeed. Absolutely, I think that's actually a big part of it. Is you know. I thought a lot about it and I thought, I don't know if I would have uh, wanted mm. anyone to tell me uh, some it. of the things because, yeah, mm. it's it's really, you know, learning by doing. And yep. I didn't have any design background. I know fashion background, production background. And so 
I wandered into it very naively thinking, Mm -hmm. I would like something like this, how I can't find it. What would it take to make something? And that began this whole journey. And it's been, you know, incredible in terms of learning um, and just kind of putting one step in front of one foot in front of the other and learning what I need to know you know, almost real time. So, um, you know, just at the beginning of it, having this idea, uh, I think one of the things I wondered was, does anybody else want this or is it just me? So I did have a background in market research and I I do believe in, um, you know, basically surveying and finding out what other people think. And, um, that, that just, it was an integral part of my process. So in the beginning, you know, thinking about is this idea of functional and fashionable gear, is that appealing to other people? So trying to, uh, you know, do a survey with other women who ride, you know, was really informative in my process. And then, you know, going through the design process, you know, when I had some sketches, you know, also going back to uh, that advisory council, so to speak, and, you know, thinking about which um, designs were more appealing than others. Um, and then, and then really, um, leveraging things on a shoestring budget because, you know, you don't have a lot of money. So I would go to meetups and and talk to women and, you know, ask them to try on the prototype and things like that. So, um, I think that was, you know, really trying to set yourself up for success. And I'm not even saying I have success. I mean, I'm still around, but, um, you know, there's so much to learn, but trying to inform yourself with the resources that you have available to you. And what resources, I guess, what other resources would you recommend or have you found along the way besides Meetup? Is there any any people even that have been instrumental in kind of guiding you or helping you? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, in particular, the moto community is so supportive, um, you know, really in terms of um, sharing information or resources and other women who were starting businesses, um, around the same time, like I'm, I'm here on the West coast. And so, um, people like, uh, Aliki who runs VNM sport gear, or, uh, there's a gal named, stuff. Oh yeah. Amazing yeah. stuff. And she is, uh, you know, all guts and heart. She works really hard. And so we've had a lot of chats, you know, late nights about, you know, frustrations and, you know, how to approach things and how we can help each other. And, um, she's introduced me to people and, and vice versa. Um, Marilyn, uh, you who, uh, does plutonium moto and she makes everything by hand. She does made to order. So her talent is off the charts. Like she can design and sew. And, um, we collaborated on a photo shoot early on because, you know, we had limited resources. Actually, it's funny because I had seen a Craigslist ad where she was looking for people um, to shoot of mm-hmm. her jackets. And I'm not a model, but I was in that size range. And so we got together and we thought, wow, you know, we have some synergies here. Our, our products are not uh, competing. But, you know, we decided to do that photo shoot together. And so, um, you know, the early days of starting out when you don't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It's like we uh, got a photographer who was a good friend of mine and um, we each got some models um, who are friends or, you know, people who ride and we uh, did a photo shoot together. So I think it's really reaching out to the community and, you know, 
talking about what you're doing or what your challenges are and then seeing how you could help each other. That was a big part of it. So resources, that sounds like networking, finding mm-hmm. other women in the space that may complement your product or who are going through what you're going through. Sounds like a lot of support that Absolutely. you probably need initially. Yeah. And um, running a business can be very lonely because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're the only one. I mean, I think in all of our cases, we're solopreneurs. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of times where uh, you have thought about something, you don't know how to fix it, you don't know what to do, you're at your wit's end. And just having somebody to bounce ideas off of or understand what your challenges are, you know, is really helpful. Just having support. I never thought about mm-hmm. that, that, yeah, you have to, you can't just lean on your regular BFF because they have no idea what you're doing and they have no, they can't really give you any supportive feedback and it's hard to find support from people who don't relate to what you're going through. I guess just like any other hardship in life and you need support, you need it from people who know, who know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, uh, absolutely. And it's true because your BFF, you know, is there, but sometimes they get, you know, sick of you rattling on about whatever yes. it is you're doing because they don't like, they're like, okay, yeah. Um, I get it. I get you, it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Hey, tell us about how the gas tank program helped you. Cause I thought that you participated in that. I did. And it was the first year that they did it. So, mm-hmm. um, this is back in 2016 and, you know, I heard about this program through the motorcycle industry council's, uh, extension. So, mm-hmm. uh, they, at the time it was called power Lily. But um, Mm -hmm. they were trying to mentor women who were starting motorcycle businesses. And um, I applied and, you know, camera, she's funny. She's like, you were the first application we got. And I was like, well, I was so excited. Yeah. And it was it came at a good time um, for me because I had just, you know, I'd raised money on Kickstarter to fund the production. But, you know, I didn't know what the next step was. So. Um, I was a group of five women who were assigned a mentor for a year and basically, you know, we had to put together business plans and we had to present to, um, a panel of, of about five people. And these were people who were, you know, in the motorcycle industry. So they were dealers, they were, um, people who were influencers and the whole process, um, was also very interesting because uh, I got to be good friends with uh, Katie Fox McKay, who is also a um, a co-competitor in that competition. Mm-hmm. Um, she went on to launch uh, Modern Moto Magazine. Um, Alyssa Clickinger, who has Women's Moto Tours. So again, more community building um, through that process. And, um, you know, listening to what the concerns were of the panel and, you know, ultimately, um, you know, winning that, it, I mean, it, it was, you know, not an opportunity for funding or anything like that, but it was just a nice recognition from the industry that I was going in the right direction. So I do recommend that um, to other uh, women along the way. They've also opened it up to men because men always seem to want what we have. And... Uh, <laughs> They, they were saying, why are we being excluded? We should be able to participate, which I find kind of funny and ironic. But 
Uh, I'd say that's funny and ironic in pretty much any industry you work in that it's dominated by the opposite sex mm. and or just all these outdoor sport um yeah traditionally male dominated activities and mm. I also wanted to ask you what kind of hurdles you think you had specifically as a woman that male entrepreneurs either haven't had to deal with or um, aren't really even aware of that. Because I feel like just in general, right, as females in just a traditional workplace, we have very Mm -hmm. different experiences than men, no matter how high up on the ladder we are Mm -hmm. in an organization. We could be the CEO and we still have very different struggles, especially as women of color. Yes. And Mm -hmm. that is another layer that I think makes uh, being a solopreneur or entrepreneur even more difficult because to be a male entrepreneur is one thing to be a female entrepreneur and then to be black or brown or yellow. Now we have Mm -hmm. even more um, in our way as far as resources and networking, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. how many other women of color could you reach out to if you needed support right now? I, I mean, not enough, in my opinion. No, I mean, you, you can probably count them. <laughs> I think so. Two hands, one hand. But but you're right. And it's also very subtle. I mean, now I think, um, you know, being in Silicon Valley and, and you know, being in corporate America, it um, it's, it's the kind of, um, I guess, lack of inclusiveness or diversity that's very more subtle now, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that sometimes... Uh, we're fighting our own biases. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Asian women, we're supposed to be demure. We're supposed to, you know, uh, be respectful. And I think... And not ride can, motorcycles. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think we're our mother's <laughs> worst nightmares. Um, it was mine for a little while, but I think I broke her. She's like, come around. I broke her. Yeah. Well, I mean, my brother started riding before me. And so mm. she had to deal with that. And then by the time it got to me, I think she was just like, well, I don't think she took me seriously the first time <laughs> I mentioned it to her. I don't think she actually believed me because I remember her laughing like, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. So she wasn't mad. She was in disbelief. And then I think it took her a while before I actually showed up one day on my bike for her to see that I was actually oh. doing it. And then, yeah. yeah, like physically seeing that is when I think she's like, okay. And then ever since, she she thinks it's pretty neat. And, you know, she's the usual motherly advice. Don't go too fast. Mm. Be careful. You know, the usual. So she's pretty yes. supportive. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Um, but, <laughs> no, it's you know, rare. it is funny because um, I think, did you ever see that movie? Um, they're doing a remake of it now. Um, it was called What? What Women Want yes. with Mel Gibson. I wanna, yes, I want to see that because I love Taraji. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny because I kind of feel that, uh, you know, in that original movie, Mel Gibson's like, you mm-hmm. know, he doesn't understand women. And so he you know, mm-hmm. has all these assumptions or missteps. And then he hears all these voices and it starts driving him crazy. And I, I think 
you know, where I kind of see it is is kind of on the front line. You know, there's more women involved. But when you walk into a lot of dealers um, or uh, stores, stores, it's I mean, Revzilla is so lucky to have you. I mean, honestly, and you are a personal resource. <laughs> Thank for you. Me. Um, but people, you know, uh, it's like buying a car almost when you go in there, people ignore you if you're a woman. And so trying to approach these channels and say, Hey, you know, I have something, you know, for women that, you know, mm-hmm. we do accessories that, you know, and they, they look at me and they go, Oh, you know, I've, I've had people say to me, uh, I don't know what women want. And, you know, we don't have a lot of women customers or, you know, but it, it's sort of like, um, Attached twenty two. Like if maybe you don't have women customers because you're not paying attention to them. Oh my god! You're not yes. offering it's, them what they want. <laughs> it's a whole like to me. That's a whole another podcast. There's so you're right. There's so many. I feel like there's just so many of these kind of never ending cycles of debate about that. And I've always thought it that with. Uh, with men or people who are really unfamiliar with selling to female motorcyclists, they don't know what they don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And of course they don't know, but they're not going to say, I think they're not going to be as upfront. Well, I have no idea what to do. I don't know. I don't even know. And so I'm not even going to try to attempt to sell that or attempt to sell to women because I don't know how, but I'm not going to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Um, but also that they have no idea that the audience is there, but because they've never physically seen it, they can't wrap their mind around believing it almost like a skeptic, right? To seeing a ghost. You're not going to believe in ghosts unless you actually shake hands with one, (laughs) but we are more real than ghosts, but I think we're still elusive and my and i have always just thought that you know a lot of these male owners and dealers they just have no idea where to begin they really mm-hmm. don't but they also have zero interest yeah and that's that is the worst part mm-hmm. no interest don't care don't want to care and without that we can't sell anything they can't sell anything to anybody and we'll never mm-hmm. be included yeah, absolutely. I um, had an experience going into a large gear store oh, recently, yeah. and I was going to buy some gloves. Yeah. And I was pointed to a rack, you know, I said, where's yep. your, your women's and they, they kind of waved me over to this section, they had like three racks of men's gloves and one rack of women's gloves. And, you know, half of them were pink. And you know how that's, well, that's I'll be honest, of... we only have one rack of women's gloves as well. <laughs> We do, but, but I try to pack okay. in as much as I can. No, that, and that's okay if, if it's, you know, like you said, you know, I've heard you say three good choices, right? So, if you, uh, yeah, four, you know, yeah. I walked over and I was looking around and so I asked the salesperson to advise me and he's like, well, I don't know. It depends what you want. And he kind of oh. dismissed me. And then I, I ran into a friend of mine, thank goodness, who, who does track days. And I, and I was asking her and she gave me some helpful advice. And uh, then I decided, okay, I'm going to get this pair. So I walked back to the front and I said, okay, I want this pair in this size. And they said, oh, well, uh, we don't have those out. Maybe come back tomorrow and we'll unpack the box or whatever. <laughs> and so it was like, I am not coming back here. I'm, you know, there's just no way you're going to see my face again. So <laughs> it's, 
I was so Don't worry, Deborah. I can help you. No problem. I got you. There you go. Um, <laughs> but well, that, that's, that right there speaks to, again, the inclusivity. And I find that that's a huge roadblock in front of female motorcycle entrepreneurs that mm-hmm. you, to get into this big room, I feel like, where there's resources and networking and maybe money, you can't mm-hmm. get in there because at the door, you're stopped by someone saying, sorry, you're only 1%, 2%. Mm-hmm. And these numbers that they throw out that they don't really, in my opinion, have factual date. They, no one has. I mean, no one can definitively, even the MIC, right? Nobody mm-hmm. can definitively talk to everybody in the United States <laughs> who's living and breathing and riding a motorcycle and count everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's unfair and it's ridiculous to say, well, women are only X. Well, mm-hmm. that might be your experience. And of course, we as female riders, we know, we all know we are not 50%. We know this right. because we're always excited to see other women who ride. We know this, but mm-hmm. the fact is we're, we're here. We're here. We're not a ghost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're here. And from what I've read and researched, women control 60% of the money in U.S. Yep. households, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I do all the accounting for our family. I do taxes <laughs> for my oh, husband's yeah. business. I've been doing it for 20 years. I manage all the money. I pay all the bills. I keep track of everything. And mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many men walk into Revzilla and go, well, this $1,000 suit's awesome, but I got to check with my CFO, mm-hmm. my wife. Oh, yes. yeah. So, right. So the, that's the kind of obstacles that I'm 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 hoping that you're getting over <laughs> and that you found some way around. And it's great to still see you doing what you're doing. Um, and I, I do Thank hope you. that you're I hope you continue your success and, and grow it as much as you can handle. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, no, it, it really is, you know, almost convincing people one conversation at a time because, um, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If, if you don't provide or cater to what the people who have the spending power have, then you're not going to see them. So, um, you know, that's the leap of faith that I think, um, you know, a lot of people who are in the purchasing positions have to make. Um, and Mm -hmm. there are some progressive, um, outlets like, you know, Scuderia and SF Moto. Uh, I'm lucky to be in San Francisco where, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's more of an open mindedness to that. Um, and I think the more that, you know, we keep pushing and um, women are starting to come out with more um, products for women, I think that also speaks volumes. Are there any mistakes or um, maybe decisions you made that you wish you could have done differently? Mm. Big or small, I mean. Yeah, so it it, it is uh, kind of funny because um, production, I would say, anytime anyone asks me what is your biggest challenge, and I say production mm. because, um, you know, being a small manufacturer, you don't have a lot of the clout to yeah. 
uh, get the attention of a production facility. And um, the pricing's high. You know, you basically are at the mercy of, you know, whenever they can fit you in. So that's a huge hurdle. Um, And Um, I'm also assuming that you're producing offshore. I am for most of the um, bags offshore. And and what I was thinking is funny is that being of um, Chinese American heritage, (laughs) you know, it's it's funny. I'm third generation on my mother's side, first generation on my father's. So I don't really speak Chinese. Mm -hmm. And it was really funny. Yeah, right. I mean, a and, little, but not you know what we sh- what I should be, I guess. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. That the basic conversational stuff or yeah things that our parents told us when they didn't want other people to understand, like <laughs> shut up, stop yes. that, you know, swearing. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but it was it was kind of funny because well, first of all, you know, I think there's a lot of fallacy about uh, producing uh, overseas because people assume. Yes, can that you it's, please enlighten us on? Mm. How difficult, I guess, the production, I mean, the choice must be for you. Well, not difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it was obvious you have to produce overseas. Otherwise, you will not sell or profit, I'm guessing. I'm sure it's just insanely expensive. Yeah. So, and it's not only the cost. It's actually the quality and mm. the skill. Yeah. So um, when I first started out, you know, I wanted to source locally. It's easier to manage, you know, uh, people want to buy American. Um, but, uh, what's happened to, um, the manufacturing industry in this country is, um, it's gone offshore because of the, um, movement to, uh, sort of knowledge-based workers as opposed Mm -hmm. to laborers. And Mm so, a lot of the goods that they do make, it's starting to come back in certain cities, but they want to do very uh, quick, simple kind of products like T-shirts, denim, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was trying to get this produced, you know, the, it's like over a 30-piece pattern, and most of them were just rolling their eyes wow. at me like, you know, oh, my God, you know, no, we don't want to do That's a lot of labor. It's, it's a lot, yeah. and also it's a lot of um, – mixed materials. So, mm. you know, there's uh, 1000D Cordura, there is uh, 3M reflective material on it. There is, you know, there's um, a, a poly, a coated poly. So uh, there were factories who would do leather, but they wouldn't do the textile mm. and vice versa. So um, it became a matter of complexity. So, you know, does you know, who has the uh, facilities who can do this? Who wants mm. to do it? And then, you know, would they do it at a cost that would, you know, make it um, market friendly? So, you know, really all those things, you know, led me to uh, overseas. But, you know, I really did, you know, look at U.S. I looked at uh, South Asia. I looked at India. I looked at Korea. Uh, I looked at China. So um, it's really a matter of, you know, for people, and, and, you know, this is like, you don't want to really over-educate because when, but when people say, I don't want to buy if it's not made in the U.S., um, you really have to really look a little bit deeper and say, you know, why, well, what, you know, exactly yeah. what's going into this. Um, and a lot of people Everything don't. we own is made overseas now. Yeah. Everything. Uh, 
everything. And people, I've even had people say to me, oh, I'm not going to put this on my shelf because it's not, you know, made in the U.S. And I, I, I was la- kind of laughing because I can look at 10 other things in that store and know where it was produced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know it, that's not the reason. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. So it's it's an education process. I mean, they are really doing very high quality stuff mm-hmm. overseas, and they have the skill level and machinery to do those things. So because right, um, people today they're not going going. I want to be a seamstress, or I want to mm-hmm. be a textile manufacturer. And where are where's the workforce and the labor? You have to find right. I mean, you have to mm-hmm. find almost all of it because it's not abundant anymore, the way it used to. I know that in Philadelphia, which once used to be a huge center for fabrication and manufacturing is like pretty much gone. I mean, 99% mm-hmm. of the factories, they're all gone or they're um, dilapidated and no one's building things anymore because it's definitely more cost effective to do it overseas because people overseas don't need a $20 an hour wage to afford a two-bedroom apartment for $2,000 or a two-bedroom mm-hmm. apartment for $1,000 or whatever. Like our, our costs are different and, and I, and I, I, I get that. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm all for, um, you know, conditions of workers and, you know, we have certain standards and I've been to the production facilities nice. and, um, you know, that's, that's part of it too, being socially responsible, but, um, just to, you know, really be aware that um, it's not a simple decision in terms of the production and, you know, where and how to manufacture. How long did it take you, do you think, well, how long did it take you from, like, conceptually thinking, I want to make this, I want to sell this, Mm -hmm. to having your first sale? Yeah, about a year and a half. um, Because, uh, you know, and and about a year of that was, was production because, um, you know, you think you finally got somebody and they're going to do your product and they're going to do it in low, low volumes. Mm-hmm. And then it's a matter of managing the quality process. And uh, there are things that you agree to on paper. And then mm-hmm. when you see it, it's it's not it's different. Yeah, it's yeah. different. And literally having to go there in person. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was insisting on this nylon binded bonded thread. Mm-hmm. because it's much stronger. And, you know, um, you know, that's important for something that you're going to be taking on the road. Mm-hmm. And so I had to literally, uh, stand in front of them, take the thread that they insisted was good enough <laughs> and snap it. And, you know, and then take the thread that I wanted to use and, you know, show that it had much more tensile strength. And mm-hmm. then they got it and they're like, okay, you know, so, <laughs> It's things like that where, you know, a picture, they say picture tells a thousand words. Well, when you're thousands of miles away and you can't communicate mm-hmm. clearly why this is so important, you know, then it's like, okay, let me try and demonstrate this in a way that makes sense in all languages. Yeah. I mean, that's the other, I would think the other, another layer right there is you're American and you have to produce overseas and then you're trying to manage basically your your item and what you want to make. You're trying to manage that from afar, and that also seems extremely challenging as well. So I can totally see why a year, why you needed that time. 
Yeah. And it's a language challenge was also, I think, a cultural challenge because, Mm. um, you know, we are used to doing things a certain way. Um, we have, uh, common business practices and, uh, there's, there's a little bit of a, a difference in terms of the nuances of how things happen and when they happen and mm. what things really mean. And so that took me a while to figure out. And I started thinking of it, you know, first it was very frustrating and challenging. And I was like, you know, having a lot of difficulty, um, digesting what was happening. And then I, I finally decided, you know, this is a different cycle. It's a different way of doing things and, uh, what's the best way to get things done. And I kind of had to step back and, uh, you know, kind of think outside my American box and, you know, come at things a different way. Do you think that, um, well, actually one question I really want to ask you is, are there, can you think of maybe three to five pieces of advice that you'd want to give to someone, certainly female entrepreneurs who are trying to get into the motorcycle space? Um, just three or four or five things that you would <laughs> love to tell somebody to really save them some time and pain um, as they start their journey <laughs> or things you learn the hard way that you think someone shouldn't have to learn the hard way or just really any kind of advice in that, that vein you'd like to pass along. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, this is not a get rich quick business. No, as <laughs> we know, we don't get into motorcycles to make money. Right. Yeah. So, it's, right? It really is a, a labor of love and you yes. have to be passionate about what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, w- I would say the first thing is to really do your homework. So uh, mm-hmm. do your research, build a plan, figure out who your customer is, uh, because uh, the motor market, you, you know, you've talked about this too, it's very fragmented. So, you know, there's all reasons and style of why people ride. So, mm-hmm. and they vary from track, you know, to street, to adventure, yep. um, touring, millions. So, um People look at that and they say, oh, you know, one in four riders is a woman, is a woman, but it's very fragmented. So we're also you know, different. You really have to think. Of, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Also different. So you really have to think about, you know, who am I really um, talking to? And, um, you know, then focus on that being true to your concept. Um, and, and I think also maybe to trust your gut because a lot of times, um, I, I think, you know, what you know, but th- you might not know why, mm-hmm. um, something is not feeling right or, um, mm-hmm. and then, and then, but, you know, so, so that happened to me too, in terms of, I think, surround yourself with people who know what you don't know. And, um, you know, that, that happened for me in, in the form of, uh, working with a production consultant. So I'd say this doesn't seem right, but I don't know why. And I don't know how to express it. Hmm. And, you know, I work with somebody who said, Oh, this is what you need. This is what this is called. This is how, you know, you need to address it. And I go, okay, you know, now I, now I got it. I can move forward. Um, so, so really, um, I think don't be afraid to ask for help and, um, you know, get, get that, uh, resource on your side because you can't be good at everything. You know, it's just coming up with an idea is just one facet of it, but there's so much more involved in terms of, um, 
setting up the business? What, you know, form, what entity are you going to, uh, create, um, you know, how, yeah, exactly. Distribution sales, um, all, all those things. And so, um, you know, you need to know what you don't know and, you know, be, uh, don't be afraid to seek out those resources that can help you. Can I ask you about raising capital? You said that you did a Kickstarter to raise mm. money for the production. Was that to get like the first X number of bags done? Exactly. Um, so it's kind of interesting because I, I'm a little bit conservative when it comes to, you know, going, going in on a business venture. And so, uh, I know other people are, they're just all in. And for me, I'm much more incremental. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I had my prototype, uh, I thought, well, maybe Kickstarter is a way to also vet if there's interest in this. So it was kind of a twofold um, purpose for me doing that. So one was to, yes, raise the capital to do the production. The other one was, um, you know, it's another stage gate. Are people going to be interested enough in this to uh, see, want to see this succeed. So, you know, I did a 30 day Kickstarter and, um, my goal was to raise the money for the first round of bags. I I did the first bag only in black. So I did one color Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I ended up, um, within the skin of my teeth. I, I think it was New Year's Eve that my campaign was ending and, you know, some, somebody who I'm still very grateful toward said, you know, I, I can't, you know, afford to, to give you your top award, but I can, you know, give you this much. And I was like, that's much is what it's going to take me to close my campaign. And so she's like, okay, you got it. And, um, you know, such a, a really wonderful experience because people I have met, I'm still in touch with. So, you know, there's a guy who he's like, you're making me nervous. You're so close. I want you to get this. And, (laughs) and he helped push me and he's since come out and helped me at the international motorcycle show. He, you know, flew out and he helped me in Chicago last year. Um, he's come out to other events and, you know, just really become, you know, a great friend of mine. Um, and so the experience was, you know, really great on a number of levels in terms of, yes, raising the money, but also giving me the confidence to move forward and also um, having some, you know, very nice, great supporters um, who have helped me along the way on this journey. That's fantastic. So I think that also kind of demonstrates how important it is to have the right people around you as you try to navigate, you know, the just all the obstacles that you're up against. And I'm glad to hear that you found some really great people to support you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and to things like I have a booth at the show, I can't man it by myself. What am I going to do? And so now people stepping up and offering to, you know, come out and, and do that. I mean, it's huge. Like, you know, things like, how am I going to go to the bathroom? You know, if I have to stand there for eight hours a day. Yes. I remember those days they were very interesting. (laughs) Um, so Unfortunately, I have to wrap up a little bit in a minute or two, but I do want you to tell us about some of the uh, campaigns you're running and then, of course, any other kind of products in the pipeline or just anything that you want to share coming out of your business. 
Mm. Yeah. So um, one thing is that um, I'm running a campaign called What Makes Your Heart Race during this month um, because it's American Heart Month. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, heart disease is the number one killer of women. Mm-hmm. So, um, so important to take care of ourselves and to really be educated. So this month we're donating 20% of our sales to Women Heart. Um, they're an organization dedicated to improving the health and quality of life for women living with or at risk of heart disease. So just wanted to um, do a shout out um, to that and how staying fit and active and riding is is really, you know, one element of that mm-hmm. that helps keep us healthy. So, yeah, um, I really. also want to mention how um, different it is for women who suffer heart disease, but also have heart attacks. Our symptoms are completely different. Mm-hmm. We are not men. So a heart attack for us is very different. And if you're a woman, you should Google that right now. So you can see what the symptoms would be if you are going to, if you're suffering one, you probably wouldn't even know it. Absolutely. Because yeah, it's very not scary. like what you see on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely yeah. not. So, um, so if you're in the, in the, uh, mind frame to do something good and you're out for some new gear, you know, um, we just wanted to let everyone know about that. Um, and in terms of, um, new products, we recently launched something called the Moto Angels capsule collection. So, um, this is kind of active wear meets loungewear. Hmm. So, um, they're all kind of mix and match tops. Um, they go from tank tops to hoodies and the uh, fabric's all treated with antimicrobial. So it helps kill germs and reduce odors. So not that we women smell, um, but <laughs> it's know, nice to have and, something when it's sweaty. Exactly. Yeah, it's cool. And um, what uh, some of the white shirts have, well, the white tank top, I mean, sorry, the white muscle tops and the long sleeve tees have um, an iridium based logo that glows in the dark. And so your wings mm-hmm. will come out. And that's just something oh, fun, so cool. you know, a little bit unexpected. But um, yeah, we've had some fun with that. So uh, that's something to look out for. That's awesome. Um, well, we will. I will put up links to your website, of course, and then I'll um, definitely make a note about the campaign. So we'll have all this information for you. I'll have all the information listed with this episode. So if you go to the podcast page on my website, you can click on all the links to see what we've been talking about. You can go online to Deborah's website and order a Lauren bag for yourself. You can read reviews. If you have any questions, of course, you can always, you know, send an email to her and I'm sure she'll get you all the information about her products if it's not there. Um, But um, I thank you for your time today. I hope that all the women listening out there who are thinking about getting into making gear or accessories for women that you have learned something from uh, or something about Deborah's experience will help guide you because I think we need more women to tell us like how things are going and what's worked for you and, and to share that knowledge I think is tremendous. So I thank you for your time in that. Hey, no, thanks. And thanks for doing what you do because you've been you know, a great resource to women for the last 10 years and more. And I know me personally. So, you know, I'm so excited that you continue to do and be a voice in the community for women who ride. 
Thank you. I will do it as long as my, (laughs) I don't know, as long as I can keep, I guess, stay inspired and motivated. I mean, it's, I feel like it's kind of a long, it's like a marathon, you know, and, and yeah, and if you need help with gloves, let me know, because I'm thrilled to give you some ideas or if you need help. Absolutely. Um, so I will hopefully be back in a couple of weeks. Um, so tune back in. I try to post episodes whenever I have time. So it might be a few weeks. It might be a month. I don't know. But uh, thank you for listening. In the meantime, you can always find me on my social feeds at GearCheck. Anywhere online, I'm there as Gearchick. No K. And I will talk to you later. (laughs) 